Hello and welcome to Econoday Unplugged. It's Tuesday, 15th of January 2019. I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London, where all eyes are firmly focused on this evening's parliamentary Brexit vote, which promises to be, once again, a defining moment in the future relationship between the UK and the rest of the EU. And if all the uncertainty surrounding that isn't enough, then, well, just last week, the World Bank issued its new forecast entitled Darkening Skies. So it's just as well, then, that with me as usual on the other side of the pond, fully charged flashlight in hand is our US expert, <laughs> Mark Pender. That's me, Greetings that's me. to you, Mark. Thank you, Jeremy. Not Greetings to you. Greetings mm-hmm. to you. Now, we normally kick off with a look at what's happening stateside, but since we've got this Brexit vote, and indeed, as we speak, it's just a matter of hours away, I guess it seems kind of sensible to start here first. So then, um, what are we looking for? Well, the vote itself should be finishing round about 8.15pm London time. So that's going to be, what, 3.15, quarter past three in the afternoon, East Coast, New York time. So is, is, there, any, is there any chance it'll pass? Uh, well, this is it. I mean, in terms of what's expected, well, I mean, let's say in a nutshell, if you look at what the government is presenting this time compared to what it presented to the Commons back, at, well, what it should have presented back to, into the Commons in December, and it pulled that vote because it thought it was going to lose. And to an all intents and purposes, these bills are pretty well exactly the same. So by far on the way, the market expectation is that we'll see the prime minister being defeated and potentially being defeated significantly. And I think in terms of, you know, know, the takeaway from today's vote, I guess, will be the extent to which she is beaten. Um, Were we, let's say, to see a defeat of, I don't know, in excess of 100, then it may be the case that she could feel obliged to stand down. So so there's like 400 or so in the votes. How many votes are there? Well, that's right. It's around about, what, just over 350 votes. So not everyone's necessarily going to vote. But is, is, the- la- is she, is she going to get any Labour votes? Yes, she will do. I mean, because this is not just a case of being split between the Tories and the opposition parties, but of course it's a cross-party split as well. So Labour's split between those who want to stay in the EU and those who want to leave. Ditto for the the government as well. Can I? uh, But they want to remove her. So why would Labour vote uh, if they want to uh, uh, trigger an election? It wouldn't. Wouldn't it be in Labour's interest then not to vote, even if they do uh, support her view there? Well, it would be. I mean, the issue is, I think, is that when it comes down to Brexit, say, it almost ignores the political borders. You know, those, those who believe that Brexit should happen you know, and needs to do everything, whatever it takes to get Brexit to happen. And those people who think we should remain in the European, again, European Union, again, irrespective of what that might or might not mean for the shape of the future government. So, I mean, you know, it really is a polarisation of, well, the country as a whole, but in particular Parliament as, as well. But I think it does seem certain to the extent that anything is ever is certain in politics. And let's be honest, who would, t- who would trust what a politician says anyway, that the, um, the government or at least Mrs May will lose. So the question then is, you know, if that were to be the case, what happens next? Well, I mean, the honest answer to that is, of course, is we don't know. But a few things that we do know is that the government would have to come back to Parliament within three days with a plan B. Now, to all intents and purposes, they don't actually appear to have a plan B in the first place, which is hard. So how can they make it up in three days? They they passed this like a week or so ago. Haven't they been working on this three day plan? They can't. It's taken three years now. How can they come up with something in three days? 
Well, I mean, originally they're expecting that if they were to lose lose the vote today, they would have at least 21 days to try and come up with some kind of amendments which would make it more acceptable to Parliament. But as a result of an amendment which went through the Commons last week, so that's now been reduced to just three days. What it means is, in, in, in reality, I expect, if we get to that sort of situation, then the parliamentary parliamentary debate will be extended beyond three days because you quite rightly say they're not going to be able to settle anything within say, such a short period of time. Um, I suppose it's worth mentioning that I mean, if Mrs May survives this vote, um, were she to lose, let's say, by 100 plus, and the chances are that you know, we could see, well, Labour's already promised at some point a vote of confidence in the government, and they tried to put a vote of confidence in Mrs May through before Christmas time, but that didn't really stand for that much. But they are talking now about a vote of confidence in the government if May loses by enough. So clearly can, that, J- Jeremy, yeah. can I ask, is there anyone on either side who has, a, uh, a vision on how to get uh, a deal done that uh, the majority would agree on? Is there anyone they're turning to, that they're looking at, who has the um, the wherewithal, uh, he or she, who who can get this, who, who you know, who can get this done? And therein lies the issue, because I mean, as we currently speak, um, there is no majority in Parliament for any plan that's actually been put on the table. I mean, Labour has come out with some vague, you know, vague recommendations about what they think would be suitable, but that's all got to be agreed with the EU, and they probably wouldn't agree it in the first place. Um, the the Brexiteers amongst the Conservative Party, their view is, well, they don't really want a hard Brexit, but again, they don't have any kind of compromise bill which can get through Parliament either. So it's a hard Brexit? Is that what, so, I mean, well, uh, the, what are the odds? What, what, what are the playmakers uh, well, uh, in, I mean, in London doing? I mean, Outside the Irish backstop, I mean, the, the real backstop is that no one really wants the hard Brexit. And that's not just for UK, it's also the European Union as well, because the hard Brexit is essentially going to be bad news for everyone. So I think um, at, at the moment, in terms you know, the where the betting lies, is that, well, Mrs May will lose the vote today. That's kind of a done deal. What happens then? Well, I think it's you could well see... My bet is you'll see an extension of the Article 50 March deadline. So currently, I mean, don't forget that the default position here is that unless something changes, um, then the UK will leave the European Union on March the 29th. So something has to change for that not to happen under UK law. So I think if Mrs May loses, we'll see and there's enough I guess, of a kind of a majority within Parliament that wants to see either a soft Brexit um, or some kind of deal anyway. Is, is there a leader? Is there a personality that no. everyone is looking? Well, then it's, what do the bookies say? It looks like a hard Brexit to me, well, right? Well, this is it. See, the bookies don't really know. All they, I think, read, you know, as much as anybody else, they're pretty prepared to come down on the side of the, you know, the longer this goes on, probably is the greater is the likelihood that there won't be a hard Brexit or there won't be a no deal Brexit because Parliament is going to take over the process. If Parliament itself takes over the process, then, you know, Parliament on average either wants to stay in the EU, which they probably do, or certainly wants to have a soft Brexit. So what I think will happen is that we'll get you know, the UK requesting, and it has to come from the UK, um, that the Article 50 March deadline will be extended. Now, it can be extended so long as all the other EU member countries say yes. And since the other EU member countries ideally want to get some kind of Brexit deal rather than no deal, it's probably in their interest as well. So for what it's worth, and I say it 
it really is it's anybody's guess and uh, I think the chances are that as far as today's concerned we end up with a situation under which we get a lot of politicking taking place in Parliament. Parliament itself tries to take over the Brexit process you know, and to drive it away from the Prime Minister who may mm-hmm. or may not survive to, you know, tonight's vote anyway and see uh-huh. what happens from there. Well, can, can I ask, is there any um, any authorities, any personality outside of uh, parliament, um, political, I mean, um, a writer, uh, Paul McCartney, Mick Jagger, I mean, is there uh, a, a court, is there anything else, uh, I, uh, the royals don't participate in, um, in politics, I guess, uh, or the House of Lords, is there anybody outside of parliament, a, a journalist, anybody that people are, are brighter, anybody that people are focusing on? Well, not really. I mean, if, if you take the sort of, you know, the, the, the celeb stars, I, mean, I think it's fair to say you can pretty well draw a line through that lot as well. And um, for every person who, you know, waves, waves a union jack and says, right, we want Brexit. We want to go back to being, you know, Britain again and control all our own borders and, you know, parliamentary powers, et cetera, et cetera. There's someone on the other side of the fence who very much wants to remain part of the European Union. So it's something which is almost going into the stage now whereby a number of commentators are saying there's almost there's no way out of this because it's hard to see how Parliament would vote you know, on any particular package. Um, but mm. since it doesn't want a, you know, a no deal, it kind of comes down on this thing whereby we end up in, well, as we are. And I think if you're looking at performance, sort of, you know, the way the pound's performing at the moment, the UK stock markets, it's sort of coming down on that view. It's not confident that you know, we won't fall out of Brexit. That clearly is still very much a possibility. But, you know, there's this growing sense that because people can't agree anything um, in terms of what the final shape should take, you know, we'll end up with extended negotiation and we just keep going forward on that matter well it doesn't sound very it doesn't sound very promising um you know it does it's been it going, doesn't. And it does. so let's talk about what a hard brexit means for the global economy i mean will it uh, immediately throw uh, what, what what's its actual legal uh, legal impact um on british imports and exports well, the legal impact, of course, is that we will no longer be part of the customs union or the European single market, which ought to mean um, that automatically we will see an increase in tariffs, which on well, but an introduction on tariffs on those goods and services which have been freely traded between the UK and the European Union. Um, so, if UK will raise tariffs on EU goods and services, the EU will raise tariffs or introduce tariffs on on UK goods and services. At the same time, as the issue, of course. Uh, as part of the EU, the UK has been um, has had access to the trade agreements that the European Union has made with non-EU countries, and there's a ton of those. And it's questionable as to whether or not, since we're no longer part of the EU, those trade agreements would actually continue to operate. Oh, with the UK so it's going to be a legal mess. So, so if it it April rolls, rolls around, it's going to be a, a, what, a feast day for the lawyers in Europe and, and it, the UK? It was quite, yeah, I think if, 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 if you've got someone who's sort of graduating from college and wants to know what kind of job to go into, <laughs> something in the kind of a lawyer type sphere could actually be an extremely, extremely good one to take. <laughs> well, now, how about um, traders and economists? What does it mean for financial uh, uh, London as a financial uh, global center? Well, it's got to be negative. I mean, we've already seen uh, a degree of movement out from the city of London into Dublin in particular 
Um, you know, the UK is being used as an entry point into the European Union um, for both investment flows in particular, but also you know, as an access to the European you know, free market. Um, it looks as if a, a fair chunk of that has already started being you know, moved across into Dublin, which, of course, mm-hmm. being Southern Ireland, will remain part of the European Union. Well, well it's, foreign, it's foreign exchange is uh, London is traditionally a dominant. It center. is. And uh, have you seen movement out of, out of that market? There has been, but I mean, the, I mean luck, London, I mean, has become the you know the global centre of foreign exchange, partly because of its location. It's got the best time zone. Um, it's also got all the infrastructure, yeah, you know, the, you know, the intellectual capital, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and that won't disappear overnight. But of course, it's something which presumably will diminish over time if we're outside of the European Union. So it's it's going to be negative, I think, whatever happens. Certainly, it could be a big big hit to the UK economy, but it'll also be a hit to the EU as well. And and if you what's it done to the FTSE? What's it done? Well, see, the, well, the FTSE's come down on the back of, you know, it's, it's, it's underperformed over the course of the last year or so. But during the course of the last few months, you know, initial worries about a hard Brexit have tended to fade away. And there's been this increasing hope that either Theresa May will get a deal through, um, which would mean uh, basically a softer Brexit than might otherwise have been um, the case, or indeed we don't actually leave in the first place. So at the moment, I think the stock market is being bid up on the hopes that, well, perhaps at the end of the day, it won't look quite as bad as it might have done otherwise. Well, if they do call for an, uh, what, a no confidence, how does this work? They're gonna, if they do uh, call for a new uh, election, when would that occur and, and how would that affect this deadline? Well, what would happen first would be the um, the opposition parties would have to table a vote of no confidence in in the government. If the government were to win that vote, and it's quite possible that they could do, um, then you know, effectively nothing changes, and we're back to well where we are now. If a government loses it, then they are obliged to call a general election, and we'll be having a general election in what perhaps three months' time, something like that. But of course, well, what, what that means. Is, what is the I'm sorry? What is the risk of some kind of a market evacuation? <laughs> You know, a sudden movement, all of a sudden, you know, a, a sharp sudden movement in the financial markets, whether it's the pound or stocks. I think I must say, if it suddenly becomes apparent that it's just there's going to be a no deal Brexit, then you would see the pound being sold off aggressively. Um, you'd, you'd probably see the UK stock market being hit aggressively as well. Now, some of those flows will probably go into the European Union, you know, the, the Eurozone. But to the extent that it's not good news for the Eurozone either, it's going to be a big positive probably for the dollar and mm-hmm. probably for the likes of the Japanese yen as well mm-hmm. and the likes of perhaps the Swiss franc. Interesting. Wow, I tell you. Okay, well, now look, I, that I think yeah. is probably enough on Brexit for well, the moment. But I, think well, I don't know. Can, this is a big issue. You know. It is, it is, but you've got a big issue your side, which I think yeah, the government shut down. This. I've got yeah. to ask you about this good old government shutdown, which is what well, longest in history now. I think is that right? Yeah, yeah, and it's and it, there's really no end in sight here. Um, and what that means for economic data is it's cutting down um, it really uh, uh, calculations for GDP. Um, that means consumer spending. We missed. Um, we're going to miss retail sales tomorrow, which is going to be for December. So. And that, of course, is the most important, uh, one of the most important reports uh, every year on the economic calendar is December retail sales. That's gone. Uh, inventories are gone. Information on inventories, information on trade, inform, uh, informa- uh, uh, information on new home sales which for residential investment, uh, information on capital goods, but business uh, investment. These are all 
you know, critical pieces of GDP. What we are getting, though, is the Labor Department's open through September. That's the uh, the government's uh, fiscal year. They've already been funded. So we're getting it, uh, employment data and we're getting inflation data. And those two are the actual things that the Fed um, – by uh, policy uh, actually looks at. They don't really uh, uh, turn their policy decisions on GDP. Of course, it's very important. But um, uh, they'll, they'll have enough to conduct policy. But, you know, what's interesting is we got, uh, we're getting weekly jobless claims. And they'll be coming out on Thursday. And um, the last week, we saw a small uptick, to several thousand, almost 4,000 uh, federal workers. And um, this apparently are uh, uh, furloughed workers applying for uh, and receiving um, uh, initial uh, uh, benefits. Um, however, uh, our uh, Canada um, sample, forecasting sample, um, isn't seeing any risk of, of of that increasing in the weekly numbers coming out um, on Thursday of 221,000 is the economy day consensus. And this is also for the week that will be, the, that ends in the 12th, that will be for the sample for the monthly employment report. So if that is stable, it would look like the employment report for January would be stable. So you, it would be an invisible kind of thing, at least for this one month, if the forecasts hold, but that's a big question. So, yeah. have, have there be been very, any have been any updates on sort of a consumer or business confidence result of what's going on? Well, we've had it's you know it's a good question. It's hard to read. Um, we had the Empire uh, State report uh, this morning, and it was very soft, almost showing no growth. The weakest reading in a couple of years. Um, and uh, but this is a small sample of maybe 100 or so manufacturers in the New York area. And it's basically a measure of sentiment in the, in the sense that the sample is asked, you know, a series of questions, a month to month change. And there's no guarantee that they're actually looking at the books, the respondents on this. They're just going off the top of their head. And so you do get a sentiment kind of um, uh, uh, coloring to it, but you don't know. I mean, it, it's a hard reading um, to uh, make a judgment. But the factory numbers, um, and we are going to get industrial production uh, that's um, uh, assembled by the Federal Reserve. That'll be out on Friday, and that'll be for December on the manufacturing sector. They have a big component in there, and that'll be a hard number. And but. The forecasters see a very another very weak reading. The U.S. manufacturing sector appears to have stumbled at year end, and really, it's not clear um, other than the vague kind of a notion of uh, global slowing. But you know, exports. You know, there's a big domestic market in the United States, and uh, a, a change in exports really. Uh, uh, wouldn't make uh, this kind of a shift that we're seeing, and so it's really hard to put your finger on. There is appears to be a slowing in the in the factory sector. Like I said, though, the um, consumer sector is an unknown, and the readings we uh, we have on December are things um, like credit card rates and uh, a small sample and anecdotal things. There's and these are all always uh, unreliable, <laughs> and so. Um, you really need to have retail sales, which we're not going to get. Right. So, 
So we don't really know what the consumer is going to, you know, we're going to get the sentiment, consumer sentiment at the end of the week, and then we'll have consumer confidence that may give us a clue. But the, there's a, what, what this government shutdown has done economically, it's so much like the, the trade issues and the, and the trade war issues. It's just, it, it, you know, however important economic data is and however, you know, elaborate and, and thorough it is, it's, it's really been very, very hard to, to find, you know, a, a, you know, a, a a really persuasive, uh, convincing uh, s- uh, set of data that can say one thing or another. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, I guess then that's probably just about enough for this week. Um, so what have we got then? Two and a half years after the UK decided to leave the European Union, we face a vote that could reshape Europe. Or it may do nothing at all. As politics go, this episode really is one for the history books. And that's not just our side of the pond. It's clearly what's happening in the States as well. So much to look forward to, much to talk about next week, I suspect. So on behalf of Mark and myself, thanks as always for listening. And we will be back next week. Bye for now.